you would, to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. We've spent our two Sundays in this small book. A book that is Peter's swan song that he writes as he knows, as he says in chapter 1, that he knows that he put off this tabernacle of his body and die. As we looked at in Sunday school, he's given us appeals to diligence and steadfastness in the Christian life. And then we're looking at, we looked at last week in chapter 3, he points us to an anticipation of Christ's return. We looked at the scoffers who mocked and said, where is the promise of his coming? Don't you know that that's uh, antiquated thought and theology? That's not going to happen. And he reminds the believers that yes, in fact, it is going to happen. We're going to look at, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13 this morning. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to look. Help us to anticipate. Help us to prepare. Help us to long for the day of Christ. Help us to look forward to it with great anticipation in such a way that it changes the way we live in this life. God, help us. Meet with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this, as Peter is departing the scene, he appeals to giving diligence, and yet he doesn't want to just have this do more, try harder type of message. He closes his letter with, this is what the day of the Lord is going to be. This is what you have to look forward to. And it is interesting as we ask ourselves, what do we anticipate the end of this life being? How do we understand how this is all going to end? Even with the current events and the, the great bear of Russia waking out of its slumber, how do we anticipate, whether it's in five years, ten years, a hundred years, a thousand years, what is our expectation biblically about how this is all going to come to consummation? Well, the Scripture gives us great hope it gives us great encouragement, but it also gives us some insight into how this is going to end. I'll give you an encouragement this morning. It's not going to end by the my, uh, excuse me, the ice caps melting. I got my words tangled up there. It's not going to come by the ice caps melting and flooding the whole earth. Amen. That's not how it's going to end. It's foolishness to think it's going to end. And we're basing these things upon the promise of God. God has promised. And he's instructed of what we can anticipate in the day of the Lord. So this morning I want to preach to you about looking for and preparing for the day of the Lord. Looking for it and preparing for it. We need to be reminded of that, would you agree? That it isn't something, it's something that often can get pushed back to a, to a back burner and from the back burner to a crock pot, from a crock pot into the refrigerator and, and it's just not front and center, but as Peter closes his time on this earth, he, he wanted to stir up, as he says, their pure minds by way of remembrance. So let me give you three things from this text this morning. Number one, the unexpected. The unexpected. Now how could it be unexpected if, he, if I tell you before of these things? How is it possible that it could come as a thief and catch people unaware. 
Well, it's because if you don't believe the promise that I will come again. It's unexpected, but it's not uncertain. It's not that it's not going to happen. It is going to happen. He that shall come will come. But notice in verse 10, when it refers to the day of the Lord, as I've been studying the languages in seminary, it's a, it's a, it's a grind. It, it's, it's overwhelming me. But at the start of verse 10, if you read it in the, the original, it says, will come. Right? As we talked about in verse 9 last week, this delay. Where is the promise of His coming? He's delayed. He's, he hasn't forgotten. And then it starts out, verse 10, will come the day of the Lord. It is absolutely certain how it will come. It will be unexpected as a thief in the night. The Scriptures use a concept of the prophetic perfect. It's over my head, but I think I am. The prophetic perfect is that it is prophetically, it's in the future, but because of who has made the promise, it is as certain as if it were already completed. Because God speaks with certainty. He's not wondering what He's going to do. He has His plan and purpose, and it is will be accomplished, and will come the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. He will not tarry. The Bible tells us that it will come at a time when people are saying peace and safety. Right? There was turmoil, but now we have peace and safety. And then what does it say? As a woman in travail, suddenly it will come upon them. When they shall say peace and safety. He uses a comparison that it will be unexpected like it was in the days of Noah. You say unexpected? We talked about this. How long did Noah preach that the flood was coming? 120 years. What do you mean unexpected? Well, unexpected by those who are not hearing and believing the promise and, and don't take it seriously. But as it was in the days of Noah... I mentioned before, I take encouragement from this. In the sense of how does it describe the world prior to Christ's return? Peace and safety. Eating and drinking. Going on about their normal business. Marrying and giving in marriage. Going to work and getting up. It doesn't describe it as this, this war-torn, destructive whatever. Because if, they, if people saw that, they would be more on edge. They would be more looking and expecting something's going to happen here, but instead the events continue on as they have. And so it is unexpected. And so he, the New Testament throughout gives this analogy of a thief. Matthew records it. If you turn over to Matthew 24 and verses 42 to 51, he uses this same analogy of a thief. In Matthew 24 and verse 42, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, if the good man of the house had known, and what watch the thief would come. If he knew the thief was going to come, what would he have done? What's the obvious implication? He would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them their meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to beat, to smite the fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he is not looking for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and he shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. We know this in advance. We are to be ready. We are not to think, oh, my Lord is delaying. He's not delaying. He is coming. He will come. Then over in Luke chapter 12, we see this same mention in Christ's teaching of a thief. In Luke 12 and verse 39, the scripture says, And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And what was Peter's response? Verse 41, But Peter said unto him, Lord, are you speaking to this parable to us? Are you talking to us that we're not going to be ready? Or even to all? And so this was very fresh on Peter's mind. If they had known in advance. Well, as we understand the analogy, if we knew tonight that the thief would going, was going to come, what would we do? How would we respond? Well, we would likely have the police ready and waiting. Right? Ready and waiting. So when the thief showed up, we've been waiting for you. Here it is. What I've come to understand in Greene County here is that others would not call the police. But they would still be waiting. <laughs> they would be waiting in a different way. We will take this into our own hands and we have a way to take care of this. But there is a expectation you've you've probably seen on online uh, when people record uh, thieves stealing their Amazon packages and they have a camera set to the package and they're anticipating that if a thief comes they're ready for them and they set all kinds of booby traps and they have uh, buzzers and alarms and things jumping out at them and they're videoing the whole thing and they they come up kind of nonchalant like they belong there, grab the package, and then it just, the whole world comes alive and they take off freaked out. I may enjoy a little bit of that as I, I watch them. Just as I've been here this week, my wife is all distraught because the package, they have a picture now that shows it on our front porch, but we never got it. And so you're wondering, where did this package go of Julia's knee pads? I mean, how are we going to live if we don't have these? knee pads. But Paul uses the same analogy. Not only Jesus uses it in 1 Thessalonians 5. Turn over there. 1 Thessalonians 5 in the first six verses he gives this same warning. It's throughout the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5. But of the times and seasons brethren you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. Let us be awake. Let us be alert. Not lethargic. Not distracted. Not consumed with temporal and other matters. But awake and aware and looking for it. But he says it is going to come unexpected. And then the Apostle John in Revelation 16 and verse 15. So we've seen it from Christ, we've seen it from Peter, we've seen it from Paul, we've seen it from John. They all use this same analogy. And in John 16 and verse 15, the scripture says, quoting Christ, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So we have it on good authority, that the day of the Lord will be unexpected. It will come as a thief in the night. And so diligence, as Peter exhorted us in chapter 1, is to be constant, diligent, always awake, alert, and expecting spiritually. Secondly in this, 
Not only is it unexpected, but there's part of it that should be expected, that he is telling us to expect. What do we know about this day of the Lord, this coming day? Well, we know that he that shall come will come and will not tarry. If you notice in our text in 2 Peter chapter 3, it uses this word, shall. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All these things shall be dissolved. I looked up a good way to study your Bible is to use a dictionary. I highly recommend the Webster's 1828 because it has scripture references in it. But listen to what it says just under the word shall. It says it implies a promise, a command or determination. You shall receive your wages. It implies that you ought to receive them. But the the usage gives the force of a promise in the person uttering them. When shall is uttered with emphasis in such phrases, it expresses determination in the speaker and implies they have authority to enforce their act. This is what Christ is giving us. Expect this because it shall happen. I am promising that it will happen. It gives us the sense of certainty. But notice what it says here, shall happen. It shall come as a thief in the night, in the which, in that day, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Pastor Greg and I actually had some time this morning and we were discussing. He brought up, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that great noise? He has all his ideas and I corrected them this morning and got him back dialed in. But it tells us in that day, It is going to come with a great noise. My understanding of this is that in many ways, this day of the Lord, as you see it, not only in the New Testament, all the way through the Old Testament, this is God's grand finale. This is where He is going to make... You ever go to a a fireworks show and you're watching the fireworks and then you're thinking, was that the grand finale? Was Was that... Oh, no, they're still going. Was that the grand finale? And then the grand finale happens. You go, oh, okay, that's the grand finale. Beloved, the, the sense that you get from the Scriptures is when God brings the consummation of all things to an end, nobody's going to say, was that it? Was that the end? Right? And so he says here that it will come uh, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. How I would interpret this, and I'll give you some scriptures for it, is that it will be something like a volcanic eruption. Okay? So bear with me. Turn back to Isaiah 24. Isaiah chapter 24. And in Isaiah chapter 24, I want to look at verse 18 through 20. This is where Peter's quoting from. And so it gives us some insight. And it shall come to pass, Isaiah 24, that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth do shake. What does that say to you? When you think about the foundations of the earth shaking, right? There's tectonic plates shifting and shaking and moving. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean, dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage, meaning it collapses like a temporary shelter, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not 
rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And then he talks about the moon confounded the sun ashamed in that day of the Lord. And so the foundations of the earth moving. Now what does that look like? Well, one of my, um, I don't know what to call it, fascinations is the concept of a uh, volcano. And one of my favorite of all is the, uh, maybe you've heard of Mount Krakatoa. If you haven't heard of it, 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 was, it didn't happen recently. It was 1883, so it's, it's, it's history. But in Krakatoa, it was a, an island in Indonesia that blew in 1883. And when it happened, 36,000 people died. Most of them, not from the earthquake or from the uh, volcanic eruption that it created, but from the tsunami in the ocean that resulted from it. I, growing up in Michigan, I never knew what a tsunami was until you get out there and you see signs, hey, beware of tsunamis, you know, that it's an earthquake that happens in the ocean causing a tidal wave that can come up and just basically pull a whole city into the ocean. So in, when Krakatoa blew, they suspect that what happened is that seawater made it into a crack in the volcano and hit the lava. And so it, the steam and the pressure of the water, cold water, hitting the, the lava caused extreme pressure and blew the top of the thing off. It is mentioned that when it blew off the coast of Brazil in South America, that ships started preparing for war when they heard the blast because they thought it was cannons going off. Now, if you're a geography student, you realize that Indonesia is quite a journey to get to South America and Brazil. But that that noise passed all the way across thousands of miles on the ocean and they could hear it as if it was a live cannon going off. They thought it was going, to, it was the start of an attack. Now, that was one volcano. If you know anything about geography, geology, you know about the ring of fire. There are volcanoes everywhere. I actually lived in Oregon, not very far from one. Uh, uh, live, active, still has tremors. There was a small earthquake while I was out there. It's just kind of known and baked in. But it describes that the, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That would go along with lava. Pastor Greg's understanding is that the, we're going to get pulled into the sun. And he's got, you can ask him about that. He's got a whole... But there, the, the obvious description is that the elements are going to be burned up and dissolved. The reference is not only to the earth, but the heavens also blowing up. Notice in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 13, describes this day, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Pastor Greg uh, just talking about this morning, he had a nugget out of that. There's two different words used for star, and one of them is astro something, not stella, like we would think of a star, a stellation, a constellation, but of a asteroid. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed, the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every morning, as I got up at the, the Nichols house, they have a, a blind over the, 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 the doors that go outside the glass doors, so you can't see the, the, the creek and the mountains. And, and so uh, Miss Ginger, every morning comes and, and rolls this thing up, right? And she has this, if it was a guy doing it, we'd just tear the thing out of there. You know, but she comes and she's got bows and, it, and it's all this nice, roll, very patient, you know, rolling this thing up because the string is broken and just rolls it up. 
Well, the scriptures are telling us, it says this also in Hebrews, that the heavens, he's going to roll them up like a scroll. If you ever, it's another fascinating study of the heavens, of how many billions of light years traveling at the speed of light are the expanse. And he's just going to roll them up like a scroll. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Now listen. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Right? What are mountains? It's where the earth's crust came together and pushed up. What is an island? It's under the sea where the earth's crust pushed up and they popped up out of the ocean. And every one of them moved. Every one of them. We talked about Krakatoa. But what happens when every mountain and volcano moves out of their places? And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, right? It's, it's, it's indiscriminate. Your money isn't going to help you here. There's no escape. And every bondman and every free man hid themselves. Where are you going to hide yourselves from that? You're going to go hide yourselves in the dens and then in the rocks of the mountains when every one of them is moving? And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come. That he that shall come will come, and here it is, it did come. And who shall be able to stand? And so it gives us a sense of what that will look like when all the earth, you realize that when those earthquakes happen, those plates are only moving a few inches or maybe a few feet. But what happens when they all go? Makes you wonder, hey, where will I be standing? Where will I be when that happens? What's my view going to be? Well, we know that the dead in Christ shall rise first. To meet the Lord in the air, right? The dead in Christ, then we which are alive and remain should be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And nobody is going to wonder if this is the grand finale. With all of these shell statements, all of these statements of fact, these indicatives, it follows with imperatives. Because this is a reality and we accept it, now what should we do? Right? Which is exactly where Peter goes in 2 Peter 3, as he says, the elements shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Understand the connection? Seeing how this is certain, how should we then live? How, what imperative ought we to live? Right? You remember when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, well, if there is no resurrection, if that's the fact, then how should we live? Well, eat, drink, and be merry. Because there's a consequence. If this is not going to happen, then, then do this. Well, if you notice in verse 11, that word ought, it is just a single word, and it means it's necessary. It doesn't tell you what's necessary, it's kind of like the, the scales of a balance. If this is the reality, that all, everything in this world is going to melt, what, how should we then do it? 
How should we then live? What would be the appropriate response if we believe this reality? That's what Peter's getting to. How ought we to live in holy behavior and godliness? It is the hinge. Because everything is going to melt, it is necessary to live this way. Notice in Isaiah 65. I said last time that if we believe these things, it should prompt us and cause us to live differently. He that believeth, right? But in Isaiah 65 and verse 17, there's an interesting statement. Peter again quotes from this text where the scripture says, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. The reason I say that is that as Christians we, we embrace this reality and what would hold us, what would keep us from truly, diligently pursuing this and living this is, well, what am I going to miss? Right? What in this life might I give up on and, and lose the privilege of? Well, how does he describe the new heaven and the new earth? When you get there, that former life won't even come into your mind. You're not going to look back with nostalgia at the glory days, like I do with my high school football. Right? Wasn't that, you know, things aren't like they used to be and probably never were. And look back and think, oh, I wish I could go back to that. This is saying that that's never going to enter your mind. It's never going to come in your mind like, oh, I wish I could go back to that sin-cursed earth where there was no righteousness, where it was ungodliness and wickedness. Remember, Paul said this in Timothy at the end of his swan song. He said, well, there's Demas, and he's forsaken me because he loves this present world. But Luke is with me. Mark, you can bring him too, because they, they are looking for a world to come. And so there's a measure that this should be expected. There should be no surprise like, wow, I didn't expect that to be a big deal. I kind of thought that would just be a, a blip on the radar. But then thirdly and lastly, it's not only unexpected, but then there's things that are expected. But then thirdly, presently, what are we expecting? What are we looking for? What are we anticipating? Right? Notice in verse 12. Looking for, actively, and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Looking for it actively. Lloyd-Jones said this, There should never be a day in our history or in our story but that we stop and pause and meditate about these things and contemplate them. Never a day. I don't know about you, but I can go weeks. I could probably go months without reflecting and contemplating and remembering what am I expecting is going to happen in this world? How do I expect this is going to end? We should expect the promise to be fulfilled exactly like he said. Right? It reminds of a Simeon, right? Who was expecting that the, the Messiah was going to become incarnate and God gave him a promise that it would happen in his lifetime. He hasn't given us that promise, says it will happen. And what happened when Simeon set his hands on that child? He said, now I see you've kept your promise. Let, I can depart in peace, for I have seen your salvation. I've seen it. What does this word hasting mean? Again, a good way to study your Bible is to see words that you don't know what they mean and look them up. I know what looking means, right? Like a child looking for grandparents to come over to the house 
anticipation. But what does this word hasting mean? I looked it up, and essentially it is the opposite of procrastinating. Right? It's not putting it off. That's I don't need to do that right now. I, I will get to it. I will. Just not right now. Do you understand that procrastination doesn't speed or move the day of judgment forward or backward? It is our how we embrace it or view it ourselves. Right? So, for example, if you know you have a test date, if you procrastinate studying for that test, it doesn't push the date back. Right? If you're ready and prepared and studying, it doesn't move the day forward. But our behavior should be such that we're looking for it, and we're ready for the test to come because, man, I'm ready for it. I am studied up to the gills, and I am ready for this test. Instead of, oh, no, is that tomorrow? I, I kind of lost track. I lost my way. And so the scriptures talk about hasting. Calvin said this, we should learn to hastily wait. See the contradiction there? Hastily wait. Wait with anticipation or to hasten slowly. He says we all labor under two very different evils. We have two problems. We make too much haste or we're slothful. Right? We either are in a hurry, we want now, 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 or we forget, 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 and we're slothful. We go to the extremes. He says, we are seized with impatience for the day of Christ already expected, and at the same time, securely regarded as a long ways off. Those are the issues we have to resolve and be looking for and hasting. My appeal to you this morning is to, to take time daily to think, what is that day going to be? Am I ready for that day? Am I looking for that day? Am I expecting that day? Am I prepared for that day? You've probably experienced doomsday preppers. They are kind of an entertainment to me. As they prepare for natural disaster, which I'm for, right? If you live through uh, Y2K, uh, you know, it didn't go the best, but, you know, hey, if it, if it had gone south, I would have been knocking on their door, so I, I'm, I'm not real quick to judge anybody who has extra bottled water. But recently I went to look up, you know, what do they, what, how are they preparing? How are these doomsday preppers, what are they preparing? And they, I found a list of a hundred things that you should have. And I went through that entire list of a hundred things. And you know what struck me? That when this day comes, not a one of those hundred things is going to help you for one second. I looked at the top ten items. I thought, you know, maybe if I just kind of work in that direction. What are the top, top ten items? You tell me if some of these are going to help you. A flashlight. <laughs> what are you going to do with a flashlight when this day happens? A backpack. Rope, water, right? I don't make fun of these things normally, but putting it in the perspective of this day of what it's really we should be expecting is going to happen. And so what is on your prep list for the day of the Lord? What would you put on a top, top ten, top five list to say, Man, I want to be ready. Here's my list. Right? Well, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ would be at the top of the list and not allowing the batteries to go old or, right? If you're like me, I have them, I save them, and then when I go to use them, they're all a mess anyway. A clear conscience. Walking with Christ every day. What if we developed a spiritual bucket list? 
What if we say in my preparation for whether it's the Lord's return or my death, here are things spiritually that I would like to see accomplished. And the reason I say that is, I think it would do Christians in this day and age well to have some holy ambition. And not just sit back and wait for it to come, but to say, you know, where would I like to see the kingdom advance? Where would I like to see the kingdom expand? Who would I like to see converted? It may not be a list of it. I mean, we'd like the whole world to be converted, right? But where in my place, where has God set me to be ready? I got a text from my brother. He was in the military and he just retired from the military. And he was watching all the stuff on the news and he said, you know, I just, my buddies just contacted me that uh, they're up in Alaska and they told them to go man the, the missile stations in anticipation of being ready. Right? We realize that in this, we have to be prepared for this. And so as you think about the gospel, the kingdom, making disciples, planting churches, the nations, we can't do it all. But is there a holy ambition to say, what can a, a, a small church in the Catskill Mountains in New York, what could we accomplish for the gospel, for our king? And then we pray to that end. We read the text, Pastor Greg read the text this morning. Praying for laborers for the harvest to send out into the harvest and to be actively pursuing that. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Have a prep list for the day of the Lord. Consciously think about, am I ready for that? And to have a spiritual bucket list and say, what is the ambition that I have? What is my desire to see accomplished for Christ and the cause of Christ? They understand their selfish ambition, that I want to make a name for myself, it would be great. But then there's a holy ambition, the just desire to see the gospel spread and for Christ to be exalted. And then notice, I read this from Isaiah 65 where he quotes it, Nevertheless we, according to his promise, are looking for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. One of my pet peeves, if you will, is that too often our view of eternity is, is really pathetic. And what I mean by that is we're often guilty of confusing the intermediate state with the eternal state. Meaning that we think of the eternal state as absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we're floating around somewhere up there in the third heaven and wondering what in the world are we going to do all day, right? But that is the intermediate state. That is true now. When you are absent from this body, you are going to be present with the Lord. You're separated of, of soul and spirit from the body, right? But that's not the eternal state. You are going to have a new body and a new earth where there is no sin and only righteousness and there's no night there. How does that work? How is that even possible? No sleeping, no rest, just eternal joy forever? And the reason I emphasize that is because it does seem kind of, who wants to go up and just kind of, you ever hear people say, well, there'll be golf there. Well, there'll be fishing there. Because they're picturing that we're going up to this cloud to hang out. Instead of seeing a new heaven and a new earth, and God himself will be there dwelling with us. Peter wanted them to embrace what we're looking for. According to his promise, we're looking, are you looking for a new heaven and a new earth? Can you imagine a new earth where you go out and everybody is, is without sin? I mean, it's a joy, I'll be honest with you. We, we've talked about this 
coming out to a different state to meet new Christians and new people, and the joy that that is, and the fellowship that there is, that you can meet people from all over the world. But you guys are still sinners, right? I'm, I'm still a sinner. But can you imagine every day, not that there is a day, <laughs> eternal day, but that everyone loves Christ, wants to glorify Christ, and everything we do is without sin. The whole creation is without sin. Everything is in glorious harmony the way God designed it and made it. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes, that is our hope. That's what we need to be reminded of. Is That is what I'm longing for. Not to float on a cloud somewhere indefinitely. A new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. You ever watch the show Home Makeover? I like to see things improved. I think it's a God-given, he gives it to man, to, to mankind. Women obviously have it too. Where we like to, I like to take things and fix them and see them better, improve. And so, as you, if you've seen the show, they take this rundown house and it's got all these challenges and problems and they talk to the people like, what would you like to see? You know, how could we redo this for you? And then they have the people leave and they come in and they blow this thing up, right? They tear it off, they tear out the foundation, the roof, adding rooms, this garage, pool, you name it. And then they bring them back and they, they have this big canvas and they have them standing behind and they're looking at their old house, right? And then they say, okay, it's time. And they go up to that canvas and they tear through and they peel back that, that you know what I'm talking about? And then they see their new home. And they're overwhelmed. That's what God's going to do to the heavens and the earth. I call it Home Makeover Universe Edition. A new universe where you walk in and everything you have always, in His presence is fullness of joy and pleasure forever. Eternal, enter in to the joy of our Lord. Let me close with this. As we look at the world melting and being destroyed, Christ said, Fear not, little flock, because it's your, good, your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's just going to give us the kingdom. In Acts 3, the same Peter as he preached these things, in Acts 3 and verse 18, he said, But those things which God before showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Right? We quote that passage, but you know what the rest of the verse says? When the times of refreshing shall come, from the present of the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. That Peter, even in his preaching to the lost to repent, said, Look to the times of refreshing that are going to come when Christ returns. And that is my plea to you outside of Christ now. Repent and be converted and look for Christ and his return. Right now the door is open. But the day is coming when like the ark before the flood, the door is going to be shut. And you remember what Jesus said, many will stand without and they'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in his kingdom and themselves shut out. What kind of people ought we to be if we believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Do you in your soul believe that? 
that we should live as in God's presence, Coram Deo, every day. Every day looking for and hasting. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Not in a morbid, detached, but with a holy ambition and a desire to be the servant who is, is actively serving his Lord when he comes. And not saying, well, he's delayed. His flight's delayed. He's not coming. So I challenge you, be prepared. Because the coming day of the Lord draws near. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promise. The most certain thing that could possibly exist is the promise of an omniscient, omnipotent God. And we thank you for giving it to us. We thank you for warning us in advance that we may respond to your word, believe it. And God, I pray for the lost that they would see the desperation, the hopelessness outside of Christ, that there is no escape that they would flee and cling to Christ as their only hope of salvation. God, I pray for your children that you help us. Help us as we look and hasten and desire the day of Christ. Help us to be faithful. Help this little church to be faithful to you. Help them to expand the gospel and to be busy about their father's business. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name.